0: What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. This week, we got Josh from Outdoor Limits. He's been on the podcast before. Um, He is known for his YouTube waterfowl channel called Outdoor Limits, uh, where he hunts um, primarily in Kansas, and he's very successful as far as the hunting goes and as far as the YouTube goes as well. Um, So it should be a good one. Um, He's also a member of our Flyways Collective, um, so we've definitely uh, had a lot of fun hunting with them over the last year's collab. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and have a, a quick word from our partners, and then we'll go ahead and get Josh right in the call, and we'll jump right into it. First off, I'd like to give a big thanks out to HTR Innovations. Guys, if you haven't checked out HTR Innovations, it's all American-made products from their A-frame, their Layout Lounge, their quack pack, their gun stand. Um, And tonight I want to talk real quick about the quack pack. Um, It's a product that's really awesome for the uh, walk-in hunter on public land. You can use it in cornfields as well. Um, But for me, where where it really shines is the walk-in hunts. Um, Whether you're walking into a marsh or a river bottom or anything in between, um, you're able to throw in your decoys. It can fit about 18 uh, floater decoys right in the pouch and it folds up into a backpack um, take all your gear out there it's got a slot for the gun everything so you you walk out with the backpack um, and the decoy bag combo and when you get to your spot you can lay it out and it turns right into um, a layout blind so it's perfect for that it comes in a corn camo a grass camo um, and a uh, earth tone tan so definitely check them out duck gun 10 at checkout for 10 percent off for free shipping also, like to give a big thanks out to our friends over at Gunner Kennel, another American-made product. And you guys have heard us say it from time to time, um, but the testimonials from uh, people who have used it and had accidents, their trucks had flipped over and they landed on the kennel, and um, you wouldn't believe it unless you saw the pictures and the videos. Um, but it's 100% held together, and the dogs inside uh, survived with a, with barely even a scratch. Um so it's definitely impressive there It's the double wall rotola that's their patent on it um and you know just that allows it to be super sturdy and keep and it keeps your uh, your dog man's best friend uh your hunting companion and your investment uh keeps them safe getting from point a to point b um all season long also I like to give uh big thanks out to our partners bandit Avery, and greenhead gear uh, Elliot and I have been rocking there products their gear all season long all last season um you know from the banded 2.0 waders uh to their uh, camo as far as the jackets and then also the ghg decoys as well um definitely check all that out over there um you can find everything at banded.com from the avery sporting dog section all the way to their gear and their waders um you won't be disappointed all let's go ahead and get josh on in here and we'll jump right into the podcast What's going on, folks? Thanks for joining me on another episode of the Duck Gun Podcast. I'm Jordan from Duck Gun Chronicles. Got my co-host Elliot, the gray, the grayest beard, alongside me tonight, per usual. And our guest for tonight is Josh from Outdoor Limits. How you doing tonight, Josh? I'm doing excellent. Glad to be here. Awesome. So this is a little bit of a little bit of a repeat. Last night we had a, a little bit of a flyways meeting. So, um, you know. Uh, two days in a row. Are you sure you can handle uh talking to me and Elliot that often? <laughs> I wish we talked more. <laughs> good stuff. So you uh you've been having a a good off season staying staying alive through um the craziest pandemic that's ever been? I have. It's been
1: pretty busy actually. And so like the other day I went to Menards and I was looking for things to spiff up my office and the filming studio that I've got here and I actually walked in there and they told me to get into the store, you have to wear a mask and they were selling them at the customer service counter. It was a little ridiculous
0: to me, but
1: yep, I had to pay a dollar to go and get the paint and all the ship lap and everything I'm doing to the office. Nice. But it's the price you got to pay, I guess.
0: I actually have a similar story. So, um, <laughs> they told, so I had uh, my follow-up appointment for my surgery and they told me I had to wear a mask. I didn't have a mask. I wasn't going to buy one. And so I <laughs> took my turkey hunting mask and I put it on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Was it one of those turkey hunting masks that, uh, it's, it's literally got like holes mash? in it.
0: Yeah. Like, uh, like it protected me zero <laughs> percent, <0%. laughs> but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't have a mask and they're you know, if you want to be ridiculous, I'm going to be ridiculous, I guess. So they let me in, put it on, they let me in. <laughs>
2: Josh, I'm curious, Jordan and I have talked quite a bit in the past few podcasts about the pandemic and where we fall on our beliefs and stuff on it. I'm curious to give us a quick overview of what your take is on all this
1: stuff. (laughs) You know, I think it's a pretty serious thing to, like, you got to take it seriously. And, you know, I've been furloughed for the past five, six weeks now, and luckily I have a second source of income through YouTube, but I think it's definitely something that's very serious and it needs to be taken seriously, but we need to get the story straight on what the best precautions are to take.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for I, sure. I will say my opinion throughout the whole thing has kind of changed the longer it goes and the more numbers we see where it seems like what they thought was going to happen hasn't happened. And if it's that, Due to like the countermeasures they've taken, I mean, I don't know. At this point, I just feel like it's not as serious as they said to start with.
2: Yeah, I'm I'm with you, Jordan. My my opinion has tend to started to shift. It's just so difficult because there's so many people putting out so many different numbers and so many opinions. It's and it's become so politicized that it's just like any other political topic. It's so hard to get down to the truth of of what exactly, you know the re- reality of the situation
0: is confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when they're saying like the, their survival rates, like, you know, 99% or just like, or whatever it is, you know, I don't know. Obviously I'm not an expert. I probably shouldn't be talking about it. But mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. I
1: mean, the survival rate might be 90- 99%, but it's got to suck having it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. You're right. I mean, but so does, it sucks having the flu too so i don't know again like i i feel like i can get opinionated about it and i don't want to <laughs> so i'm just going to try not to but uh if you're not
2: going to be opinionated about it here Then what's the point of me being opinionated about yeah, kinda.
0: i don't know because i just don't want to say something that's uh that's wrong i guess cuz i don't know you know what i mean I, I can i can say what i think but i don't know you you, you following me Elliot or no
2: yeah, I suppose you're just afraid to uh, piss people off,
0: essentially. No, I'm not. I'm not afraid to, you know. I call you plenty of names. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I don't know. <laughs> well, let's move on, then. Okay, let's move on, then. I don't know. So, yeah. Uh, what else have you been up to? I know, uh, you know, like you've been saying, you've been... Uh, Uh, As your as your video called it, you uh, um, lost your job. So uh, how has that been for the YouTube career?
1: (laughs) It's been pretty fun, actually. And I've had the opportunity to be able to focus full time on making videos on my channel. And for a while, pretty much weekly, I've been posting minimum three days a week. I got to go turkey hunting do a lot of crappie fishing done a lot of cooking videos and it's been an absolute blast and I don't think without being furloughed I would have had this opportunity to do this kind of thing now I wish that it would have happened during like November or December but I'll take springtime. you know it is what it is we get to go crappie fishing and turkey hunting and whatever but I really wish I could spend five days a week duck hunting for sure.
0: Oh yeah. I hear you. But this
2: may go into September and October. It's looking like it might.
1: Well, yeah, but I, I got a call last one.
0: week.
1: I got a call last week saying I'm going to go back to
0: work on Monday. <laughs> yeah. So. Definitely. A, definitely interesting to to see how that all pans out. So. Um, uh, but yeah, I guess, to, to step back a little bit, let's go ahead and, um, you know, talk about last season and how your, your hunting went and all that.
1: Last season was definitely interesting because normally I spend a lot of time on public land, chasing ducks and going out in the kayak, trying to find them. And this past season, the springtime before the season, we had a lot of rain and it kind of flooded All of the places that I duck hunt, and we didn't have any vegetation grow up over the growing season. And that really affected where the ducks were in the fall. And I could not really find them on public land, which is severely unfortunate because I love chasing public land ducks, but I had to kind of alter my game plan and see if I could find them on public or on private land on ponds and fields. So it kind of changed things and threw me for a loop, but luckily I was able to make it work. I ended up chasing a lot more geese than ducks. And I think my plan for next year is to end up chasing more ducks than geese. I shot a lot of geese this year. I got my fill of it. I love folding honkers, but I love folding ducks a lot more. So yeah. watch out for me on public land next year because <laughs> it's about to happen.
0: Awesome. So w- one thing I'll say about that is um, w- with what you're saying about like the, the pond hunting and all that. Um, and so I've had um, the opportunity to hunt in Kansas uh, quite a few times now um, with, with Elliot and then our flyways collective last year. And you know, when I've gone out there to hang out with Elliot, it's like almost funny because we'll be driving to the public marsh um, and like, we'll see all these farm ponds. We keep passing. And I'll like point out the window. I'm like, Holy crap. Look at that. There's like, 200 geese over there and Elliot barely bats an eye. He looks at it and he's like, ah, we keep driving. I'm like, you're not going to like try to figure out whose permission it is or like, like inquire about it at all. If we saw it in Indiana, like everybody would have on X out and we'd all be like lining up at the door, but you know, it'd you know, be leased out or somebody already has permission. Cause there's not, there's not as, as many opportunities in Indiana for sure. But uh, <laughs> Elliot could just care less. It seems Seems like about farm ponds. He's all about those public land marshes. So, um, I guess I'd like to hear kind of like what what your opinion is on it. You know, obviously, from what you just said, you prefer the the public marshes somewhat, but just give us your perspective on it.
1: So my perspective is I try to chase public land ducks from September until early December. That's usually when the best times of year to chase them on public land is and then after that you know when things kind of start icing up on public land then i start focusing on private land spots where i've got ducks and geese and you know i try to make a good balance i really like chasing public ducks so there's there's nothing better than finding your secret hole on public land and paddling out with a limit but yeah you know i'm i'm a I'm a person that likes both worlds. I like chasing public, but I also like chasing private land birds.
0: Yeah, no, I hear you. I definitely can uh, agree with that. Um, you know, my preference is always the public land. And me and Elliot have talked about this a few times. Kind of like, um, there's just like a struggle that goes along with public land. Um, and there, it's almost like, and I don't want to like, uh, <laughs> um, kind of go at it in a wrong in a, in a way that's gonna um, belittle people who only hunt farm ponds or manage land. Um, there's a lot to that and there's some great hunting with that as well, but there's something to be said about struggling and going out and scouting. And, um, as Elliot put it, the last time we talked about it, like anybody can go get these ducks and you went out there and you got them and you know, you kind of achieved a goal there by, by, uh, um, just being successful in, in your endeavor there. So, Uh, I definitely can agree with you on that, you know, with the public land struggle and everything, but also every once in a while, it's nice to have kind of one of those easy hunts where everything's going to fall into place. You got one of those fire farm ponds and, um, it's just going to be an awesome hunt.
1: But something I have to say about it is, you know, you can have the best farm pond in the world, but it still takes work and there's no... Basically, the way I like to look at it is, do what finds, do what you find most enjoyable to you. So if you enjoy going out and sitting by a farm pond and shooting six ducks, do it. If you like going out with your buddy and scrapping them out on public land, go ahead and do that. Do what you find most enjoyable, and that's what it's all about.
0: What if it's uh, you your most enjoyable thing is getting your limit of coots?
2: <laughs>
1: oh yeah. <laughs> I've never done that, but (laughs) I've done a cuckoo before and it's pretty
0: fun. (laughs) I've never done it either, but uh, I've seen some pictures of people who have and it looks like a, (laughs) looks pretty, looks pretty fun for like a kind of one off thing. Elliot, how did coots taste? Say that again. How did you cook your (laughs) coot? I just
1: put it, I marinated it and then
2: I put it on a grill. That's the only one I've ever eaten. I've shot, in the last 10 years, I've shot, I think, three or four coots. And um, I guess I probably ate them all, but they just went into the bag. This was the first one. It's like, okay, this is a coot. So we did a teal coot test. And uh, I surprised, mm-hmm. you'd be surprised. I mean, there was a difference. But, I mean, teal is just so, it's hard to beat teal. So it was it was completely edible. It was 100% edible. I'm still not going to shoot them, but they were edible.
0: If if they had a green head, would you shoot them, Elliot?
2: And they saw that disgusting little beak and those low feet? No. <laughs> those feet are disgusting.
0: So uh, I don't know if you, you've you heard this story before, Josh, but one time I saw a coot with a broken wing, and I thought I'd grab it and nurse it back to health. And I chased after it, grabbed it, and it bit my hand and, and drew blood, and I dropped it, and I said, I'm done with you. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Oh, They're not very uh, nimble. If they get on land, so this <laughs> I one I was on, on water. <laughs> well, they can swim pretty good though, if yeah, they want yeah, to. That's
2: true. that's true. There's been times with our uh, surface drive, we've been coming down a canal um, in central Kansas where there's a lot of cute in October, and if you go just cruising right through a big bunch of them, it is crazy to see how they act. It's like they scatter, and they they are the most non-athletic bird. Some of them will try <laughs> to fly off and not get up on time and, like, ran right into a mound. I mean, <laughs> they're,
0: <laughs> they're funny birds, man. They're funny birds. So uh, let's talk about YouTube a little bit. Um, how's your uh, YouTube channel been going?
1: It's been pretty good so far throughout the off season, and I think it goes towards being furloughed and having more time to spend on it, which – I'm not looking forward to not having that time once I go back to work, but I enjoy my job and it really helps me out in my personal life. So, yeah, I wish I could spend more time on YouTube and be more comfortable with it, but I really enjoyed this time full time and being able to dedicate my time towards it. So, it's been going pretty good. It's been all right. And I've had a lot more time to be outdoors and myself doing the things that I love.
0: Awesome. So, so with like uh, kind of like the YouTube growth and all that, like uh, I know I think we've talked about this in the last podcast, um, but kind of with your your job, um, and go ahead and remind us what what your job is again, um, but uh, with your job and YouTube, like how much is your your time split between the two as far as like a career?
1: Yeah, so I spend three days a week working at my job, and so I got that job right. Before- i graduated college and it's been awesome i get to take kids out in the outdoors take them fishing canoeing and do some like climbing wall stuff with them and introduce them to the outdoors on field trips and things through the schools and in summer camps it's a really enjoyable experience and i really love what i do but um what, what was the other part you wanted to know about the youtube
0: yeah i guess uh just how, you, how your time split between the two you know with the uh... You know, working and is it like seasonal as well? Or okay, yeah.
1: So I work three days a week, so I get three days on, and then I get four days to do YouTube. So it's a really great balance for me. And I'm very fortunate to have found a job that supports both sides of what I want to do. And uh, I'm able to do my YouTube videos, but also have that other kind of stable income. So I'm able to pursue my entrepreneurship, but also be able to have that one job that I go to and I get paid and, you know, don't have to worry about things.
0: Awesome. So, uh, you know, with having that opportunity, I mean, do you still, I mean, is there a goal to go beyond that and be full-time at some point or you kind of just happy with, um, kind of having, you know, the best of both worlds?
1: That's a really difficult. Because I I love what I do, and especially because the busy time for my real job, as I call it, is during the off season of YouTube. So it, it's a really great balance. When I'm busier in time um, where I'm not duck hunting with that job, but I'm busier during the time coming duck hunting with YouTube. So I'm able to balance my hours where I'm off. Little bit more during duck season, and I'm on a little bit more of another job when season's not in.
0: Nice. Yeah. Not
1: everybody can find
0: it. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds like a perfect Hopefully deal you for benefits. you. Yeah.
2: I'm curious, Josh, um, how do you think that your YouTube channel has affected your life? Now, I know you started at a pretty young age. But do you ever sit and think, like, what would life be like without this YouTube channel, and how it's impacted your life, and and what it means to you personally?
1: You know that that's a really good question because I don't think my life would be the same without posting YouTube videos. For one, it's a hobby I get to do what I truly enjoy, and I just I'm fortunate enough to be able to make money off of it and over the years, uh, especially recently, I've been looking back at where I started and how I've gotten to where I am now, and I'm impressed with myself for all of the work that I've done and the time that I've dedicated to it. And I don't think, I don't think there's any way I could be where I am right now without being so dedicated to YouTube. And I, I can't imagine life without it and all of the support that everybody else has given me, even people I don't know. But I've also gained a lot of connections to friends that I wouldn't have known otherwise without YouTube. So it's a really cool thing that I've had. It's, it's cool to have done. And I don't I don't regret going full on into it, not asking any questions because when I when I was first starting this. And I was super into it, taking it very seriously. I was like, this is what I want to do. This is going really well for me at the time. I mean, this was when I had like 10,000 subscribers back in 2016. And I was all about it. I had nothing else to worry about other than class and college. And I spent the rest of my time making the videos. And I remember my dad, he kind of questioned my decision-making on He didn't think it, it was as serious as I thought it was when I go and visit with my dad, like how are things going? How's, how's the business? How's, how's the videos going? And it's just really interesting to see how over the years things have changed and YouTube has become such a big part of my life. And I don't think I'd be where I am right now without it. I, I don't regret any of the decisions I've made and it's just such, such a cool experience. and I want to keep it growing. And We've talked
2: about this, in the past, when you've been on here, of how the face of waterfowl hunting has changed since you started on YouTube, where you know there was basically no one doing YouTube waterfowl vlogging, and any any kind of YouTube or any kind of waterfowl content was typically network TV and highly sponsored. And, and now I feel like that YouTube waterfowling is the number one influence on young waterfowlers getting into the sport. I think guys in their teens, their 20s, and even just guys getting into the sport at all, I think when they go to wanting to see how to do stuff or just watch it, they're going to YouTube. And you being one of the very, very top waterfowl influencers and your age, age, you're in that demographic, you have so much influence really on the next wave of waterfowlers, when I mean, you get to be 45, 50, you know, and you look at the, the waterfowlers that have come up to the time, you know, you've got a great impact on that generation. Do you ever think about that when you go into making your videos and, and when the things that you say on your videos, like that you actually, um, influence what, how, you know, people's shop selection, people's ethics, way they do things, I and mean, you actually influence them. Does that go into your thought process at all?
1: Yeah, so what I like to do is I like to provide content that's one family friendly and clean because that is something that all across the board everybody's gonna respect is having clean content, you know, no cussing, keep it clean and ethical and let the viewers decide what they like and don't like. And then I also like like during the off season, I post videos that are helpful to waterfowl hunters. So I do gear reviews. who are looking to find the new decoys that they're going to buy or the new blind bag they want to make sure they're getting quality gear because all of us started from nothing you know other than a select few and i for sure started from absolutely nothing i started with a hand-me-down shotgun and cheap winchester shells and six decoys i worked my way up from there I knew going into that, I wanted to buy gear that I, I was going to like. So I like to make your reviews for people to know that they're going to get what they expect out of their gear. And so I like to make entertaining content, but I also like to make content that people can go back to for helpful advice. On Here's how you set decoys. or here's how you call done. And this is what I think of these decoys here's a good video showing with these decoys, look like how they've held up the a season. And I like to make myself, I'm not, I'm not in it for the glory, I'm not in it for the subscriber count. The UK. I'm in it to do what I personally enjoy. And I'm also in it for people to learn and also get to know what things that they need to go duck hunting and what year is actually reliable and worth the money they spend on.
0: Awesome. Definitely agree on that. So yeah, I guess um good part to transition into kind of talking about uh what kind of plans you got going on um for the upcoming season as far as uh you know, you got any traveling or any are you going to stay around Kansas and Nebraska this year? What what you got planned for this season? I
1: at the beginning of the year, I decided that I wanted to travel a lot more and I think that's still going to happen, but I might travel within the state just to stay local and stay close to home. But I really, really, really want to focus on public land ducks this next year. I spent a lot of time on private land this past season chasing geese and it was fun and I really enjoyed it, but I think I missed out on a lot of public land ducks and I enjoy it. I want to do what I enjoy. I don't want to do something that, you know, I feel like my subscribers and my viewers want to see. Like, that's not me. I want to do something that I enjoy. I want to do the things that I like to do. And chasing public land ducks is hands down one of my favorite things. Because when you find that little honey hole on public land, or you don't, you go out in the marsh and you find a good spot. You're like, hey, this looks pretty good. I didn't scout this day before. I'll set up my two dozen decoys and see what happens. And then you come out with three ducks. I enjoy those hunts yeah. and I know my viewers do too. So, the private land scene is fun. I really enjoy it. I like shooting lands a geese, but there's definitely something about chasing public land ducks that I missed out on this past season. But I didn't have any options otherwise because it was either chase private land geese or, you know, maybe shoot one duck on public land. So, I, I went with the goose scene this past season. Next year, I'm definitely going to get out. Find some nice public land spots and chase the ducks out there.
0: Do you want to kind of do the name drop of uh, the public land spots you're going to be hunting? I'm (laughs)
1: going to be hunting in Indiana, right next to uh, Jordan, and we're going to shoot a lot of nothing. well not or too f-
2: not
0: too far or from the, the truth, truth.
2: <laughs> have you josh have you been out and done any poking around as far as scouting what the areas look like and what kind of vegetation is growing in or anything like that
1: i haven't i've never done that in the past i've seen that you've done that and i'd like to maybe start doing that a little bit
2: it, i do it number one because it's just so enjoyable i catch the cooler days and go out and just Look at what! In fact, I found a place I didn't. I kind of knew was there, and but I never looked at it. And it's got smartweed and wild millet growing. And seeing those places dry, and seeing what's growing in them, and thinking about ducks dropping in, it's a fix. I say it's this is what it is. It's just a duck hunting fix.
0: Hmm. I, I don't know if that would do a fix for me. I mean,
2: hey, in May. <laughs> <laughs>
0: in May, you're right. This place yeah.
2: I found. This place I found two days ago. I knew it was on the map, and I'm telling you, I am so excited about this place. I'm I, i I'm so excited.
0: What would you say the name was again?
2: <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not even sure I would give Josh that name at this point. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you sure about that? I probably
2: would. I, I probably would. I probably would. Uh,
1: it's a cool place. I've got an idea where you were.
2: After, I'm going to have you guess. And when we're done, and we'll see how about how about
0: I'll he text you? He, text him right now. I want to know if you're right or not. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll text him. We can see if he knows.
2: <laughs> I don't, I, I'd be willing to bet you he doesn't even know the place.
0: Yeah, if, he, well, if I'm if probably names wrong, it, but I had a guess.
2: If he names it, I'm gonna be really, really impressed. Yeah, anyway, yeah I don't,
1: I don't think. Let's see, let's see we got to nope. keep these public land nope. spots secret.
2: <laughs> no. Nope. I bet you when I tell you the name, you'll have never even heard of it, is my, my guess.
1: Maybe. Yeah. Because
2: I didn't even know it existed until I first started hearing the name of it two years ago. And this place is right under my nose the whole time. Anyway, is I'm it in the it. area? Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's 15 minutes from my house. <laughs> hmm.
0: Don't get too specific. We're We're gonna have people like uh, we're we're gonna have people like triangulating the position of Elliot's house after this. (laughs) I know
2: I've already
0: told too much. much. (laughs) All right. So, (laughs) so talking about hunting um, and your travels and all that. So, like, uh, I guess who's gonna be in your crew this year when you're hunting?
1: I don't necessarily have a crew.
0: So I know you you hunt like with Blake a lot. From he's from Nebraska though, right? Mm-hmm.
1: he lives in nebraska i go out there during maybe teal season and their opening day weekend and i was fortunate enough to go up there during the flyways collective but i it's hard for me to make that trip out there because it is quite a long ways
0: yeah yeah okay
1: and, and blake comes down a good blake art. comes down to kansas you know a couple times during the season too yeah
0: so is it going to be like, uh, are you looking at a lot of solo hunts then? Or are you just going to kind of take, take the season as it comes? You don't really have a plan.
1: I really kind of take it as it comes.
0: Yep.
2: Do you get a lot of offers to travel to different states? And I'm sure you do. And why have you never taken anyone? From, out of curiosity.
1: That's a good question. I do get quite a few offers from people and I like to stick with what I know. And sometimes it's a little bit skeptical to take an Instagram message and go travel six hours away to a different state and be like, okay, (laughs) Hey guy, never met you before. Let's go duck hunting. So there's a little bit of skepticism in the messages and people can oftentimes talk up spots, but I have gone on hunts with people that have sent me messages in the past, but I like to stick, stick with what I know, and I really enjoy just doing my thing, and, you know, maybe someday I'll go take, a, take another trip, but there's that kind of, I don't know if I trust you or not kind of feeling sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And I think- and to me,
2: it's uncomfortable to hunt with people for the first time. I don't know. Just blind like that, it makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm not even, even just in the first two couple hours of the hunt, I don't feel comfortable. I don't know.
0: It's, the problem is with, with Elliot when he goes and hunts with people like that, he's just worried that they're going to get onto him about how far out he's shooting and all that. And <laughs> yeah. when he's stretching his, his shot out, you know, to.
2: <laughs> My problem. Mm-hmm. The to... real thing is, I'm worried that they're going to be stretching it out like crazy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But nevertheless, never it's very cool to be able to connect with people that you've never met before and go hunt with them. Oh yeah. And I've built a lot of good relationships with people that have reached out to me and gone on hunts and now like they're really good friends of mine. So Mm -hmm. it just depends on the situation for me. And you know, if you live close to me, then it's probably a higher likelihood than me going out to Utah to meet some random dude to go hunt with. Like if you're an hour and a half away from me, I know the area that you hunt in. And it's a little bit different.
0: Yeah. No, that's how I got uh, a lot of my Michigan connections last year because I'd never hunted Michigan, and, you know, I had some people hit me up when I talked about um, wanting to kind of chase the openers, and that was super fun last year, going up and chasing the openers uh, in Michigan because the way it works in Michigan is, like, UP opens up three weeks before us, then Central opens up two weeks before us, then Southern Zone Michigan opens up the week before us, and then Northern Zone Indiana opens up. So I can hunt four openers in a row. (laughs) So know um, mm-hmm. yeah, that was that cool. sounds
1: a lot like what I do with uh, Nebraska and Kansas because Nebraska they open up and then a week later Kansas opens up and the next zone of Kansas opens up the week later. So it's pretty much the same thing for me.
0: Yep, yep, for sure. And I think uh, kind of on the same line with those messages, a lot of the people, I mean, they watch watched content, it, they watch your content, they probably already feel like they know you, you know, opposed to you, you know, you. That's the first time you're. You're talking to them and that's uh you know i think there's something to be said about that which is you know it's a positive thing for sure
1: oh yeah for sure and a lot of times like sometimes i meet people out when i'm just out doing something They're like hey you're the guy for me too I'm like yeah i am going. and over the years i've definitely been able to make a more relatable conversation to them because when i first started having those encounters it was very awkward for me because i, I i don't know you you (laughs) somehow know me and you know me better than i know me and it's kind of a difficult situation to be in i'm sure you guys have probably had that in the past you're like uh hey guy (laughs) (laughs) i don't know you you know me and it's it's a very cool situation to be in when you meet people that view the channel and they they're enthusiastic meeting you and being to hold that conversation, I definitely think I've gotten better at that over the years. Have you guys ever had that kind of situation?
2: I had one early a few years ago where I was coming out of a hunt with Elijah, it was a Utah and I was coming around the corner real slow, and this guy in the other truck stopped me. And he's like, "Hey, uh, you know, you're freelance stuck hunting." And I'm like, "Yes." Yeah, so we get talking, everything. Well, fast forward, now he's on a lot of my videos now. with Jason and his little son Hunter, and he's like one of my better hunting buddies at this point and it's like mm-hmm. we share information all the time and that's the best experience i've had with that where he's like now he's just like a friend i, I forget how i even met him i just him as, <laughs> like a close friend
0: yeah no i have that too with uh one of my buddies um kevin from michigan he invited me on all kinds of hunts and um you know they do pretty well up there and we get along um really well so um but you know i think for me you know going a if you ever go to like a show that's local in your state, you'll have a lot of it seems like a lot of your subscribers from YouTube um are from your state. They're like following the local guy. Um so mm-hmm. I see a ton of people when I go to like Indiana um expo, you know, I'm just talking to people all the time, um, that watch the YouTube videos. So oh, yeah. it. it's definitely pretty cool seeing that.
1: Rogers Waterfowl Weekend. Yep.
0: That'll be uh your gas home turf not <laughs>
2: I did have a situation over that played out over about a three-year period at a particular reservoir where I swore this kid was stalking me. He drove by and yelled out like, "Freeland still coming" or something. as him in his little. He was like a high school kid, cruised by in his truck. And then everywhere for the next two or three years, during the same weekend, every place I scouted, I was seeing his his truck. He was. I saw him at the road like putting binoculars on me as I was scouting. The next morning, he was like <laughs> right in that same spot. And I knew from his license plate what county he was from. I get a phone call from that from the city where I knew that he lived. And he, and he was, like, pranking me, pretending he was, like, Sitka and stuff. But this thing went on, like, over a three-year period. <laughs> then finally, I met him, time like, walking around, and he pretended like he didn't know me. And <laughs> I was like, it was hot. Aiden and I joked about it all the time. Like, somehow he put, like, a tracker on my truck or something. Because everywhere I showed up scouting, over this weekend there he was there he was there he was it was oh and after the worst part of it abe and i were laying out one day and he was he was right in there almost on top of us blowing his call just like screaming at him this awful call and there was it was early in the season and these gadwalls were kind of trying to work i'm like man if that dumb kid would just leave these birds will start working (laughs) finally about 10 he left and sure enough on like 10 to 11 we started working these gadwalls dropping right in and we were shooting them. he's been a heavy topic of discussion <laughs> day tonight,
0: well you know he's probably listening right now so you better watch well, out he is
2: and he needs to chill with the stocking
0: <laughs> <laughs> all righty <laughs> elliot are you going to talk about uh water hunting and field hunting
2: well i mean we talked about public land hunting um i guess it would be interesting for Josh to give us just like top of your head top three tips to water hunting top three things are most crucial to you if you
1: could just give some kid who's
2: never hunted it's like hey Josh I'm going out I've got a dozen <laughs> decoys don't know what I'm doing give me three tips
1: okay so tip number one scout if you scout and you find the ducks and find out where they're going and find out where they're hanging out be there because with your dozen decoys, you'll be able to get the job done no problem. Number two is make sure you have motion on the water. If you've got a good wind, you're set. Your decoys will move in the wind. But if you don't have any wind that day, make sure you've got some sort of jerk string or some sort of water rippling device to make sure your decoys are lively. Okay, So do your scouting. Find out where they're going to be. Make sure that you've got a good motion in your decoys because that's going to suck them really in, okay? And then tip number three is make sure that your hide is as good as it can be. Make sure you're, you're invisible. Make sure you're not there because if the ducks see you, they're gone. So make sure you've got a good hide. If you've got a build line, up with the head. you can do it. If you've got to bring your hide in, make sure it's grass and looking good and matching your surroundings if you're able to get those done. You'll be able to get.
0: Them. Awesome. Definitely I uh, can agree on all those. Yep. Definitely uh very high up on the priorities for uh, any hunting as well as water hunting.
1: Those are the basics. Yep. If you don't cover those basics, you're not going to kill that.
0: Yeah.
2: And most people don't hide. Is the reality.
0: Yeah yeah whenever uh whenever the ducks aren't working that's the number one thing. Just you know make sure your blinds brushed in. <laughs> make sure you're you're if you're natural blind, you know um, one thing I've started doing um, that I've, I've picked up from Elliot, I'm pretty sure is uh, when they're not working in and you're using natural vegetation, a lot of times you know it's it's better to to move back ten yards opposed to sitting right on the bank. Um, even if you're ten yards further away and now it's a 20 yard shot instead of a ten yard shot. Um, and the birds were flaring at 40 yards. You're you're a net positive for <laughs> how close they're going to finish.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so this past season, I was listening to a podcast, and they mentioned that a lot of times people go out and adjust the decoys whenever the birds aren't working. And I was I was that person. If the birds weren't working, the first thing I did was go and readjust the decoys. And after listening to that podcast, hearing them say, "Don't readjust your decoys." look at your hide i started looking at my hide and started readjusting that and making sure everything was hidden better the birds are so make sure your hide is as best as it can be and that is the biggest thing that you can do for yourself
2: i cannot agree more i feel like if the birds are flaring 90 percent of the time it's you it's your hide it's your face it's you're looking up it's, it's
1: that is just the number one thing. That, mm-hmm. that players do. and it, it's so easy to blame it on the decoys, not the hide, too, <laughs> or the spinner.
0: Yeah, everybody blames it on the spinner. <laughs>
2: Everyone blames it on the spinner.
0: Yeah. How do you guys feel about spinners? Um, I'm I I like them, especially uh early on, um, but you know honestly, I, I almost I rarely pull them. Um, you know, I mean, there's times where I haven't, but either it, I just haven't seen a negative impact from them um, from any time that I've, I've pulled them I think you know sample size is still pretty small for everything but um, you know I would say I like them overall
2: I can tell you I've probably to pulled the spinner probably at this point 30 to 40 times on days when the birds aren't working properly and only about two out of those 30 to 40 have I noticed any positive it's normally a negative i mean i have birds skirting the decoys not finishing and so i pull the spinner and they won't even skirt the decoys. and then i put the spinner back out and they skirt in the decoys again. so hmm. I, i'm completely positive i don't like more than two but and i like those ones with the remote you know where you can turn them on and off
1: yeah that's so interesting because this past season i pretty much swore off spinning decoys unless i was in a field And I, I shot a lot of ducks without spinners. And so I think motion on the water is
0: more beneficial than having spinners out. Yeah. I think that even if you, any day that you don't have motion on the water, you're in trouble, you know? Um, for me, I, I think it, I like both. I like having, you know, we use the motion duck decoy spreader. Um, and that puts out a ton of ripples in the water with, you know, Having the eight ducks out there, uh, I mean, it, it literally can fill your whole your whole spread with ripples. Um, and then you know you have your spinning wing alongside that. You know that's my deadly combo.
2: I wish I could do it with the spinner. I would love to. I'm not stuck <laughs> to it. I just I keep trying, and it never ever improves anything. And it's hard for me to continue to keep pulling it when it ne- just constantly makes things worse for me.
0: It's interesting because I feel like everybody has a different opinion about it, which just means like ducks Mm -hmm. are ducks, you know?
1: For real, it is. But there's one situation that I will never not have a mojo out or a spinning wing or whatever you want to call them. It's field hunting ducks. If you don't have a spinner out in the field and you're hunting ducks, in my experience, I could be wrong, if you don't have a spinner out, in a field when you hunting ducks you will not have any ducks give you a look hmm. do you guys have any experience with
0: that honestly um i'll say that we don't get to hunt ducks in the field a lot and when we do the spinner isn't the thing we think of and maybe that's something we should should look into more as far as my group is um and i mean we shoot them i wouldn't say we we have, um, crazy smash-out limit hunts in the field for ducks. Um, But we shoot them without the (laughs) spinner. But, like I said, we haven't really tried it with it. So I think uh, I've heard it from Bobby Hayes was saying the same thing. Like, he likes to use, he said, six spinners when Mm -hmm. he field hunts ducks. They they want to use at least six. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I believe it on that. And you've seen it uh, other places, too, and, and you're saying it. And for me, I just haven't done it um, enough. I'm hoping we can get some more field duck hunts, um, and I can convince the guys. Uh, Tim, the guy that I hunt with, um, one of the guys I hunt with, is not a huge fan of mojos um, for whatever reason, and so I think for for the field hunts, and he usually has the permission on the fields we hunt, um, it would be up to us to kind of convince him to to try that. So, um, but if if we, you're
1: in a field without it out, you'll kill ducks with spinners.
0: Yeah. You'll kill more
1: ducks. Yep, yeah. I think that's pretty much universally agreed upon.
2: We don't do any field duck hunting. So I wouldn't know, but that seems to be pretty much universal thought. Uh,
0: that's interesting. I wonder what what makes the difference between a field though, like if they work in a field so well, why wouldn't they work just as well in water? I mean, what's the difference well,
1: there? Think about how easy it is to see a duck on the water as opposed to a cut cornfield that hasn't been tilled over. It's a lot easier for them to see spinning wings flashing in a cornfield than it is on water. Like, it's more noticeable and it's easier for them to hone in on in a field. And also think about, like, in a public land setting, think about how many people have two, three, four spinners out in their public land spread as opposed to not having any spinners out at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. All righty. So, the moment we've been waiting for. <laughs> Let's talk about What's the that? the Flyways Collective we're going to be having. Let's do a little bit of a teaser. So, um, I guess we don't have a ton of details, but um, what have you been hearing about that, Josh?
1: I've been hearing that it's going to be a lot of fun, and we're going to be kind of up in the game last year. Last year, we spent most of our time, actually all of our time on public. And we'd go out and hunt, and then we try and find birds for the next day. we get back late at night, clean the birds, and pretty much go to bed. We were all dead beat tired. And I think this next year, we're going to make some changes, and we're going to be on top of our game, be able to produce some off birds content. So back at the lodge, doing things, and being able to do kind of podcast side content, like how-to videos, tip videos, things like that. And the possibilities are endless have more time to do hunts together also do the content where we're not hunting being able to just enjoy the time together
2: to that as well
1: Yep. Yeah.
2: yeah for those of you that are just listening you're not aware what the flyways collective is it's a group of six youtube waterfowl content creators jordan josh and myself and three others that kind of joined an organization just to kind of collab together and it's fun just to be able to talk because Talk to people, you know, in our real we don't just talk to guys to do what we're trying to do on YouTube. And just to have you guys to talk to about it is really fun and interesting. But we're just banded together to, to do it together and promote each other and have a lot of fun in the process.
0: Yep. And hopefully, uh, you know, some of the viewers find it uh, fun to see kind of different worlds um, collide as far as people hunting from across the country making the videos and then joining up for a weekend of doing it. So, you know, we definitely always see the, the positive feedback from you guys. So, um mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's a big part of it for us as well. And I know we're all looking forward to getting together and this time, like Josh had, said, said uh, having more time to relax. Cause <laughs> I think every night we're like going to bed by like two or three in the morning. Like you said, go to bed, but it was like, it was so late. And the first, the first night you guys didn't even sleep, which was insane. <laughs> yeah,
1: we didn't, we didn't, that's right. <laughs>
0: So um you know, going to bed at two or three and then Elliot's like getting on me for like being slow. I'm like, man, I'm trying, but it's like I'm I'm still half asleep.
1: <laughs> It'll worry out. Yeah. The
0: Ductator
1: so, has to be on time.
0: Yeah, Ductator. He's always afraid somebody's gonna steal his spot.
1: I'm so paranoid on public land.
2: I am so paranoid that I have to get up so early just to ease my nerves. I want to be the first person there by like an hour and a half. Can I? Can I? Can't, I, I
0: can't <laughs> it. Can I say what time we get up? Like, whenever I've gone to Elliot's, like, I mean, it's ranged from we slept out in the marsh and gone out there at like ten thirty and just slept in the marsh. It's ranged to, from that to I think the latest you let me sleep in is one night we got to sleep until one fifty.
1: Holy <laughs> crap! <laughs> the funny thing is, I've never had anybody beat me to my spot. And like maybe a couple of dogs. and you know I usually try to get there by 4 o'clock on public land to get out there and get my spot so that, that is where I stay yeah, yeah. there was one and... time late
2: January where Corn talked me into sleep in an extra hour
1: <laughs> and
2: this cool looking duck hunter with dread shot his limit in our spot and we shot one duck all day and I said that will never happen again Two years later, I slept in an hour again, and it happened again. I said, okay, that's it. <laughs> it's not going to happen. I'm not going to get just beat. Not lucky. Yeah. I don't know. I don't like getting beat in. Or, like, if I, I don't like getting beat in.
1: Or you just scout too much. <laughs> you get dead set on one spot. I, don't well, I
2: mean, normally I've got lots of options. I mean, if you send us an opening day, I'll have seven options. On <laughs> like an opener. But at one fifty, that Jordan's exaggerating a little bit. I do not like getting up at one, but we will get up at two o'clock and two fifteen a lot. But sometimes <laughs> oh, we're sorry, I was off by ten minutes. <laughs> well, you, know, mm. so. you said the latest was one fifty. Th- earliest I, would have been one fifty. No, I mean when you're the thing is the earliest talking, was ten
0: thirty when we slept in the marsh.
2: Well, that didn't count. How does that not okay. count?
0: That's what time we went to the marsh.
2: It was, an un, it was an unusual experience because we had an <laughs> opener and literally on the own, the whole complex from a full day of counting, we had, there were two good spots on the whole complex, A and B. And we picked the wrong one. But, I mean, if we didn't get one of those two spots, we were not going to do well. And I knew that for a fact. So that's why we did that.
0: Yeah. Okay. But normally, I
2: mean, if you're talking a big boat ride across the reservoir and stuff. And if there's a spot that I know that I absolutely want that one spot, we're gonna we're gonna hit the boat ramp. We'll be at the boat ramp by three thirty.
0: Yeah.
2: I
1: miss that.
2: <laughs> I enjoy the getting up early. It doesn't bother me. It adds to the excitement for me, honestly. So you got plenty of time. You don't feel rushed. You can set up everything, sit around, have some coffee. I mean, I, I like it.
0: Yeah, I will say uh yeah kind of almost on a different line but um from what you said elliot like um one thing i picked up is um taking a lot of food (laughs) when we go out to hunt you know and enjoying that kind of aspect of it um do you guys want to close this live stream out um podcast out with a uh a A, getting some of these questions we're getting a few questions in chat so you guys cool with picking up some questions oh yeah all right so josh go ahead and um let people know where they can find you across social media everything website
1: oh like on the podcast
0: yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) i was about to put this
1: link on uh social media so you can find me on youtube at outdoor limits i've got a twitter instagram snapchat Go ahead and find me on outdoor limits or outdoor underscore limits, depending on the social media platform. Just look for outdoor limits, and Snapchat is ks fisherman, k s f i s h e r m a n. So check me out out there.
0: You ever uh, you ever miss your old Kansas Fisherman YouTube handle?
1: No, it doesn't seem so fitting. <laughs> but on the logo, you guys can see. There's a fish hook on the logo. This is kind of the new design. Yeah, but uh, there's a fish hook and a duck head.
0: That's uh pretty it's spiffy.
1: A good it's logo. super. Spiffy.
0: Elliot, first questions for you. Did Aiden move yet for love?
2: <laughs> well, Aiden is in love. There is no doubt about that. He is absolutely in love. But he may. he got through this wind energy program, and now he's like, you know, I don't know if I want to do that job.
0: So <laughs> oh, my goodness.
2: He may—he looks like he's going back to college um, to get into like wildlife biology kind of stuff. And so he is either going to go to K-State or KU. So if he goes to KU, it'll be two years, and we'll be hunting together pretty much every hunt. So um, fingers are crossed he's going to go to KU. And this, we can
0: have I bet there's more, more than fingers with crossed them. with that. You're probably egging him on every chance you can.
1: I'm
2: trying I did that to well.
1: try <laughs> Yeah, that's what you started as, isn't it, Josh? It was. I did I started out with ecology and biodiversity. Yeah.
2: I remember a video of yours I watched long ago where you were out and you guys were like electri- electrocuting fish to do fish counts or something. Uh huh. That was a, that was an interesting video.
0: That was a fun day.
1: A long time ago. <laughs>
0: you ever get uh shocked when you do that? No. <laughs> not unless you put your hand in the water gotcha all right picking up a question uh do you guys like pulsators um i've used them a little bit they just don't put enough ripples out for me what do you guys think
1: i've used the mojo butt rippler and it does okay you'd need like six of them in your spread to do something but yeah i would I actually thought about buying a bunch of pulsators this past season and ditching the spinning wings because I just think that motion on the water is so much better than spinning wings. Yep. Yeah. yeah, I'm
2: normally I don't think they put out enough. On zero degree wind days they don't put out enough. But I was hunting with Rob, you know you know Rob Josh. And yeah. uh, we're having on one of his little ponds and there was only like a five to six mile hour wind. And for some reason, that pulsator that he was using—I don't know if it was a stronger one than mine—I could not believe how much ripples it was putting across the whole spread. Oh. It was—it was fantastic. I would never <laughs> seen one do that well
0: before. I—I I bought one, and I like left Chief in the garage alone for like thirty seconds, and he literally chewed off just the little tiny clip um, that's at the bottom of it where your um your What can I think your rig rigging goes for your, your line and anchor? Like literally that's the only, like it's like he literally took his tooth and bit right there and chewed that off. Like the rest of the thing is fine. And so it's like, I can't use it.
1: (laughs) Here's a good question. Uh, Steven is asking about the solo sportsman.
0: Top three pros, top three cons. Josh, you want to go first?
1: I'll go first. I guess we could all say a pro.
0: Yeah, let's let's all say one of each.
1: Okay, so a pro that I like is how easy it is to paddle through water as opposed to the kayak I use, which is the topwater 120. That solo sports it just glides through the water and it's really easy to maneuver. Yeah and it's super lightweight, it's like only like fifty-three pounds, I believe. So it's really lightweight. one con is that it is very um, short if you're trying to use it to lay out hunts. So what I do is I take my redhead kayak blind, I take the seat out of my old town solo sportsman, and then I use that blind in there and keep that as my seat. So that kind of shrinks the space that you can sit in. It's doable. I'm not very big. I'm, like, I'm only like 5'10, but it's still kind of cramped for me, and I prefer that top water. So my biggest con with the solo sportsman is that it is a little bit tight if you're going to be using this
0: layout hunt with that kayak line yeah yeah i'd say the the biggest con for me um is weight capacity um i'm a little bit bigger and my dog's a bigger dog so if you want to try it with a dog um it's it's really just not made for that um you know but as far as using it by yourself it's a lot more fitting to that and there's certain situations where it definitely excels in. Like Josh was saying, it's a super light. So anytime I want to take some, take it somewhere where i got to drag it, I mean, that thing is money for that. Like uh, some, there's a, a cornfield that we uh, access the river through and we got to park up at the top by the lane um, at certain times of the year. Obviously, you can't make ruts in the farmer's property or he's not going to let you access. But um, dragging that, that solo sportsman canoe, and I think it weighs like 53 pounds, I mean, you literally can grab it with one hand on your side and walk it down there. So um, compared to anything else uh, out there that I know of, I think it's the lightest.
2: Yeah, you, you guys, did you do your con, Jordan?
0: Uh, yeah, my con was the the weight capacity because me and Chief, uh, I can't really take yeah. much gear if I'm trying to take Chief with me.
2: Yeah, you guys really did a good job of hitting them. I mean, we traditionally do a lot of portaging. Um, where we put our kayak on our big 18-foot boat, go up a, and then portage with it. You can't have a better craft for portaging than that um, 119. It's just so light. Cause I've, got, I've got two H-12s and I've got the 119. And the H-12s are light compared to your traditional layout boat. But, I mean, you, the difference between the H-12 and the solo sportsman as far as weight, I mean, you can just take that thing right up over your head. So portaging is fantastic. Like Josh said, cut through the water. It's fast and smooth. I, I love having one H-12 and one solo 119. It's a great boat if you're bringing a buddy along and you're the main the main gear carrier because the H-12 has a lot more carrying capacity um, than the 119 does. So I think having both of them for me is just the best of both worlds. It's a fantastic little fishing boat. I, I'd much rather use um, the 119 than the H-12 for fishing. In fact, I'm going to do a, a video... Coming up here in August, um, comparing the two and going through pros and cons. But it's a solid little boat. But if you're if you really want to use one for layout, hunting, like Josh said, that it's going to be a little bit of struggle. Although I'm working with a, a company and we're going to, um, we're coming out with a, a new layout um, device that would, that will work perfectly for boats like that. Um, so there will be a solution to the to the hide with it. So it's a good little boat.
0: All right, um, so this kind of combos with another question. But Tim asked, uh, who's going to switch to a 410 first? Also, Kevin asked earlier on, um, who's the best shot between us? <laughs> so I probably won't switch to a 410 anytime soon. I love shooting my 20-gauge. Um, you know, I think the best thing for a 410 is maybe, like, a beginner if you, you know, want them to shoot water spot, a duck in the decoys or something. But besides that, it's like, might as well go up to a 20-gauge
1: mm-hmm i'm gonna shoot a 12 gauge all the time unless i get a 20 yeah. gauge
0: <laughs> hey my, my 20 gauge is a lot of fun to shoot i like shooting the 20 gauge especially for for ducks honestly i like it any time. i just try not to do it in the later season just to keep it clean i guess
2: maybe someone could correct me but i feel like shooting a 410 full time i'm not even sure that's quite ethical i mean just no have you ever have you ever held a 410 shell in your hand
0: it's There's like barely
2: any shot in that net. yeah and so I, I just don't want to try to shoot the 410 and you know leave ducks flying away one of my number one concerns in waterbonding is that ducks don't fly away with with uh wounds they can't recover from um, i don't want to name them i feel like with a 410 i, I personally would just be afraid that i would be Wounding more birds and maybe someone's used a four channel a lot and I'm somehow I'm wrong but that's how it feels
0: and then um best shot is probably not me I have good streaks and I have bad streaks so I don't know <laughs> I don't know which one of you guys wants to fight for the we're all the competent. best shot <laughs> I mean we've all hunted
2: together we're all competent hunters
0: we're yeah competent shots you know yeah Uh, state line outdoors, ask a few things on my mind next season, any suggestions on how to get a bigger concentration of ducks in your hole? Well, I would say public land, obviously you're scouting, um, to find the biggest concentrations and make that your hole to hunt. Um, but if you're doing, uh, private land stuff, then it's more about, you know, uh, growing millet or whatever, uh, for your food source, obviously you can't bait. So (laughs) that's your only option. You guys got anything, uh, any ideas on that?
1: No.
2: From well, what really. I've seen of Josh's videos, I feel like he pulls in more big groups in the fields than on on water. Would you is that accurate, Josh?
1: Oh yeah, you're gonna lot you're gonna get a lot more big groups in the field.
2: It's hard to land huge groups in public land on water. It's just not easy. It's hard.
1: No, no, on public land you're gonna get your twos, fours, sixes.
2: Mm-hmm. if we get 12 on public land, where are he <laughs> it?
0: All right. Um, I'm trying to figure out, uh, Chris Paul is asking a question. Uh, you see that one? I'm not sure what he's, what his question is. Who? is Chris, Chris Paul. You ever, st- Oh,
2: I think he was, t- oh, I'll be talking about the 119. If you've ever swamped them. Jordan
0: did. Oh, you mean go over the top? Yeah. So that was, a. uh, uh, Honestly, yeah, that was a little bit of a uh, a combo of my fault and um, just a situation. So I was pushed up on a bog uh, with the back end trying to kind of hide in the cattails with it, and it broke through the bog and kind of got me off center. And then I was once I got the water in there, it was I mean, it's pretty sketchy. Honestly, it's pretty scary. So um, <laughs> yeah, I think you, you probably. Should obey the, <laughs> or not obey, but like follow the suggested weight limit. You know, if you're getting too much gear in there, and your dog, and yourself, and then something like that happens, that's probably why they have those limits. So that's why that's why I, I tend to say that you know, for for certain situations like having a dog and a bunch of gear, um, you need something that's going to be a bigger weight capacity. Or just take all that stuff in consideration. If you don't hunt with a dog though at all, it's. I mean, I think you're going to be you're going to be fine with the weight capacity on it.
2: I would be worried about it in the really cold on deep water myself. I don't feel like it's substantial enough to be in 12-foot water and, you know, 20 degrees. I would be nervous, personally. Mm.
0: See, I've taken on the river and without my dog, though, again. Um, and then I'll put a lot of gear in, like, a sled or something like that. And that then you don't have any gear, really. I'll keep, like, my valuables, like my blind bag and my gun in my um, kayak with me. And then I felt pretty good about that. But I, I think if you're adding on a lot of weight, then yeah, you're going to be careful around those deep water situations as well.
2: So, Josh, what's your thought between the top water and the 119?
0: Because I know you've been in
2: both of those a lot as far mm-hmm. as in deep water. and, and they...
1: Yeah. So I prefer the top water 120, pretty much any scenario it gets thrown at, because. It holds a lot more gear for one. So I'm able to fit more decoys and feel more comfortable paddling it. I've got a lot more room in it when I'm using it with the blind to manual a layout hunt. But one thing that the 19 has is I'm able to use it in public marshes and be able to glide through that water really quick and easy. So if you're just taking it into a public marsh and using that 119, you'll be doing amazing. You might have a little bit more of a cramped boat but it's going to get you where you need to be if you're just dropping in on the boat ramp of a public marsh. If you're going out in the lake, I would be cautious with it and I'd be mindful of the amount of gear you're putting into it because as opposed to the topwater 120, it is a little bit more tippy and it doesn't have as high of a weight capacity. I mean, the topwater holds 150, 200 pounds more capacity than the 119 so you need to consider that and really pay attention to the weight capacity of your your kayak and i personally prefer the, the top water 120 because it's a little more spacious i'm able to fit here and there it's more of, it's better it's, it's more comfortable experience for me
0: all righty um theo Ask: Are you guys using the four rigged motion duck system or the seven rig? Um, I use the seven rig. Elliot has been using the four because um, <laughs> he broke one of his. I'm hard on gear. Yeah, he's hard. hard on
2: gear. Let's just say
0: that. <laughs> yeah. So um, I mean, they both work. Obviously, the seven puts out more ripples than than the four, uh, just because you have it's wider. Um, that four is just kind of like a square. You can kind of spread it out further in your spread um, with the seven duck system. So, um, yeah. And as far as no wind, yeah, it's definitely uh huge for the no wind. I mean, I think it's, if you have like a, a lot of wind, like a 20 mile per hour day, or even like, you know, 15 to 20 mile per hour wind day, um, it's not as big of a, a deal to use it, but definitely, you know, uh, anywhere like seven, eight mile per hour and less you're going to want to use. It's almost like a necessity to have that unless you have some other type of motion but i mean from what i've seen it it just puts out way more uh than any other type of jerk jerk rig
2: i think the seven is substantially better than the four i I, it's better than just adding three extra stuff i think it's the way to go
0: yeah and and the thing about the seven versus the four is the four almost moves kind of like linear but the way when you have the seven it kind of twists back and forth and it puts kind of a more of a natural look opposed to like a man-made like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, yeah. it's kind of everything like twist and flows back and forth. So I hear you on that. All right. We're gonna have last call for questions and I think we'll wrap her up. So, uh, thanks again, Josh, for coming on. Awesome podcast. Good talking to you again.
1: Hey, thanks for your invite.
0: Yep. Any last words, Elliot?
1: Nope. Just appreciate having you
2: on and stick around and I will give you the name you're dying to get for that <laughs> location.
1: <laughs> Can't wait.
0: Alrighty. Guys, I'm going to secretly leave on the live stream for that too. So, <laughs> uh, Last question, Jim. No, I didn't get my Pentel, but uh, next year. There's always next year.
2: <laughs> yeah, someone didn't want him to get one, so he proclaimed the bird was a redhead.
0: I got pranked. all righty folks i'm jordan from duck Gun chronicles elliot from freelance duck hunting josh from outdoor limits and we'll see you guys on the next one